Amen. Well, you all can go ahead and be seated as the band makes their way off of the stage. We, uh, again, want to welcome all of you here today. If you are a guest with us today, we are particularly excited that you have chosen to, to worship with us. If you uh, kind of missed uh, Patrick's announcement on that little guest card, there's a connection card that's located in your bulletin. If you, uh, if you are a guest, we'd love to have a record of your attendance. But for everybody else here, as if there are something in, on your heart that you just like, would like us to be praying for you about, we as elders, we pray every Monday night, oh, with the cars that come in, all the prayer requests that come in, we just take time to, to begin praying Monday night, and we continue just to pray over them as the Lord lays it upon our heart throughout the week. And for us to be able to know those things, you have to share those things. And so we would we'd love for you to trust us enough to be able to, to lay those things out. Um, if you have questions, you know, you have just questions about the faith or what the Lord's doing in your life, and, and we would love to be able to have time to be able to sit down and answer some of those questions as well. And you can just take the, that little connection card, tear it off, place it in that black giving box right over there, and we will be able to have a record of those requests, and we will be able to, to, to talk with you about those. But let's, uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer as we uh, pray for our offering and our time in the Word today. Lord, what a joyful day it is to be able to come and to see nine families represented. Committing before a church body, committing before you to, to raise and to their children up in the fear and admonition of the Lord. To teach and to train and to trust them uh, wholly to you. Lord, we, we pray for these parents. Lord, it's such a, a large task that is before them. In a day and age and in a culture that can be even to the point of hostile towards the gospel, Lord, I pray that these, these parents, Lord, will take serious the, your word and to teach these children everything that you have commanded. They will pray that by your grace these children will come to saving faith in Christ. And that we as a congregation, Lord, will make it of utmost importance to continue to in, invest in, in the generations that are to come. Investing with our, with our time, with our talents, with our ties, with, with all that we are to, to pour into to the lives of these young families to raise up disciples who are fully devoted followers of Christ. Lord, we, we can't change their hearts, but you can. And Lord, we trust you to do that today and in the years ahead. Lord, as we enter in time of, of opening up your word, Lord, I pray that you will encourage us by your word. You will open our eyes to the truth of, of your identity. And Lord, that we will make much of your son Jesus today. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we continue today in our, our series through the Gospel of Mark. You can turn with me to Mark chapter 6, where we're going to continue in our journey through Mark's Gospel. And as we do, how many of you are just tired this morning? And I, I'm not referring to just like it was really foggy outside, tired, that type of tired, but like you're just tired. Anybody right there? I think we can all kind of relate to that. Maybe, maybe you're at a point in life where you're feeling just a tad bit. Maybe a tad bit is an understatement of the century, but a tad bit like overwhelmed. You're tired. You're overwhelmed. You're, you're at the spot of just needing encouragement. How many of you today would just say you need encouragement? 
And sometimes that can be kind of a, a hard question to answer. Like we know the answer inside, but sometimes we're not as quick to raise our hands and, and on those things. Like we know we need it. We know that we need to admit that we need it. But it's also that I live in a Facebook culture and I want everybody to think I have it all together. <laughs> and we all know that we don't. We all know that there's stuff happening behind the scenes that just life is hard. Life is difficult. And when I was diving into the text this week in, in preparation for this sermon, the Lord just screamed out encouragement to me through His Word. <laughs> just, just encouragement all over the place. Reminders to trust. Reminders to obey. Reminders to, to rest. And to rest into Christ. And my prayer is that through the preaching of the Word today, you're going to feel some of that encouragement. That you're going to be able to be encouraged by the Word as I was encouraged by the Word. And, and our aim really is just to make the, the main thing of the text as plain as possible. So that's what we're going to do, is just make the main thing the plain thing. And so let's open up to Mark chapter 6, beginning in verse 30. The apostles returned to Jesus and told Him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, come, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in a boat to a desolate place by themselves. Now many saw them going and recognized them, and they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the hour is now late. Send them away to go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered them, You give them something to eat. And they said to him, Shall we go and buy two hundred denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? And he said to them, How many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they had found out, they said, Five and two fish. Then he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. So they went, sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to, to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they, they took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish. And those who ate the loaves were 5,000 men. Immediately he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida, while he dismissed the crowd. And after he had taken leave of them, he went up on the mountain to pray. And when evening came, the boat was out on the sea, and he was alone on the land. And he saw that they were making, head, making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them, walking on the sea, he meant to pass by them, but when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and cried out, for they all saw, saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. And he got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased, and they were utterly astounded, for they did not understand about the loaves, for their hearts were hardened. When they crossed over, they came to the land of Gennesaret and moored to the shore, and when they got out of the boat, the people immediately recognized him and ran the whole region and began to bring the sick people on their beds to, to wherever they heard he was. And wherever he came in villages, cities, or countryside, they laid the sick in the marketplaces and implored him that they might touch even the fringe of his garment. And as many touched it, were made well. 
So of these three accounts that we just read, the first two are, are two of the most popular stories in all of the Bible. You've got Jesus feeding the 5,000, and you have him walking on water. And it can be easy with such stories to get lost in the familiar nature of these stories or the perceived familiarity with these stories. But in our attempt to make the main thing as plain as we could possibly make it, we turn back to the question that we've been asking throughout this entire series. Who is this Jesus? Who is this Jesus? Because it's the answer to this question, or in the answer to this question, that we find our encouragement today. It's where we find our source of rest. It's where we find our, our satisfaction. And what we find, number one, is Jesus is the all-satisfying shepherd. Jesus is the all-satisfying shepherd. The twelve apostles have now returned from their mission. If you remember last week, Jesus had sent them out in verses 7-13. through 13. He sent them out to, to, to go be His representatives, to do what He had been doing under His authority. And now they've returned from their mission, and they're tired. Jesus recognizes they're tired. It's like ministry is great, ministry is important, but there comes a time when no matter how important something is or how good something is, we all need to rest. Just a reminder, we all need rest. We can get wrapped up in just doing a bunch of good things and forget we need to take time to rest. So they get in the boat. They make their way to a desolate place. They're, they're getting away from, from all the people. Get away by themselves. Away from the crowd. Away from the television. Away from Facebook and social media. Work. Children. Like climbing on you. And wanting like snacks and food and everything. Like we're going to get... It's a magical place <laughs> that they're going to. But just like with the disciples, it's like good luck with that, Right? <laughs> Like, good luck with finding this, this place because immediately on their, on their way out, they're recognized. People see them. Word spreads. People are, are now going and telling everybody, hey, they're on their way here. And the moment Jesus and his disciples get out of the boat, guess what? People are waiting right there for them. <laughs> it's like no rest for the weary. They're trying to rest and here come the people again. <laughs> All right there. And what does Jesus do? Does he say in that moment, get away. I just need five minutes to myself. I'm going to go lock myself in the bathroom so I can have some sanity. Is that what Jesus says here? No, that's what we say here, right? And I see some heads that are nodding out there like, just five minutes would be fantastic. But do we see this here? And that's not how Jesus responds. How does he respond? He looks out upon the crowd. And he has compassion on them. Now, why does he have compassion upon them? That's the question we have to ask. When he looks upon them, what does he see? He sees sheep without a shepherd. That, that's what he's seeing. And that's not a peaceful imagery there. That's a horrifying image that, is, that we're, we're thinking upon. Because sheep without a shepherd have no ability to care for or to save themselves. They're in grave danger. That's the picture that's being painted here. A picture of danger. A picture of, of, of hopelessness. Dietrich Bonhoeffer describes the condition of human shepherdless sheep as having questions but no answers. Distress but no relief. 
anguish of conscience, but no deliverance. Tears, but no, no consolation. Sin, but no hope of forgiveness. That's a horrifying picture. There's nothing pleasant about this. And to bring this kind of scene into context, remember from the Old Testament that God gave the Israelites priests, and those priests were to do what? They were to shepherd over the people until the, the promised Messiah came. Newsflash, I think we all know it, they failed. They failed pretty bad. In Ezekiel chapter 34, we'll see it on your screen, he pops in and he, he describes God saying this of these priests. This is what he says. The weak you have not strengthened. The sick you have not healed. The injured you have not bound up. The strayed you have not brought back. The lost you have not sought. And with force and harshness you have ruled them. And because the people of Israel weren't faithfully shepherded, with compassion and with care. They were left as food for the wild beasts. That's what God tells us in Ezekiel. They were just left as food for, for the world to devour. They were scattered all over the earth and no one's seeking to save them. Again, it's, it's a horrifying picture. You know what's worse than, than the, the child on the missing photo? You know, the, the banners, the posters that say missing child? You know what's worse than that? The child who never makes the photo. The child no one's looking for. It's a tragic picture. Sheep without a shepherd. No one's looking. No one cares. People described as sheep without a shepherd with, with no one to love them, to lead them, to teach them, protect them, point them to the truth. No one to seek them out when they're lost. No one to go find them when they're wandering and potentially in danger. It's, it's just left to fend for themselves. One of the most haunting images that remains in my mind from my times in Ethiopia is the, the street children. Just walking the streets. Not just the ones who are out trying to be little con artists. I'm talking about the street children who have nowhere to go. And they're walking the streets of Addis Ababa. And they're out there just jaded and broken and hardened by the streets. They're orphans. There's nowhere to go and no one's looking for them. And it's the image on their face of just lostness and despair. and Like, who is to care for me? Those are images that are embedded there. And here, what we have in this text is we have the spiritual equivalent. We have the spiritual equivalent. These shepherds have let the sheep go fend for themselves. Whatever happens to you, happens to you. Basically saying, I'm going to let you go to be devoured by the wolves. I'm going to let you be devoured by the wild beast of the world. But then what does the Lord promise? Because He doesn't stop there. He doesn't leave them in their hopelessness. The Lord says in Ezekiel 34, beginning in verse 11, this is God saying this. He says, Behold, I, I myself, will search for my sheep and will seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep that have, scattered, have been scattered, so will I seek out my sheep. And I will rescue them from all places where they have been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness. Verse 16, I, I will seek the lost and I will bring back the strayed. And I will bind up the injured and I will strengthen the weak. Church, you know what this is? This is compassion. 
These are the words of a good shepherd. This is Jesus Christ. This is Jesus. And all, all of this was written during the time of the Babylonian exile, some 400 plus years before the life of Christ. And now what we have here in the Gospel of Mark, we are in the mountains of Israel in a desolate place. And what are these crowds doing? They're running to Jesus. They're coming from all over the place. These sheep without a shepherd. And they're flocking to Jesus. And when He looks upon them, He looks at the strayed and the lost, the broken and the hurt. What's He do? He has compassion upon them. He has compassion upon us as He looks upon this room. He is a God of compassion. And in His compassion, what does He do? He begins to teach them many things. And of all the things that He could have done, why, why teach? Of all the things that this, this shepherd could have done, why teach? Because teaching is the most compassionate thing a shepherd can do for his sheep. It's the most compassionate thing a shepherd can do for his sheep, even if what he's teaching is unpopular. Teach the truth. Children need the truth. We need the truth. We need correction. We need guidance. It's true then, it's true today. It's the primary means for caring for and protecting the sheep to, to teach the Word of God. But while Jesus is teaching, it's growing late. Time is ticking away. The disciples are putting on their watches and they're like, Jesus, you're going kind of long here. <laughs> like, we need to speed this up. People are hungry. And like, I can hear Bryant. And I say, we'll be leaving church. And I was like, Bryant, how, how does the service go? He goes, you preach too long, Daddy. And I'm like, well, thanks, man. He goes, I like Patrick's sermons better. They go shorter. And I'm like, thanks, buddy. I, 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 I appreciate that. And, he, and hear the disciples saying, hey, shorten it up, man. Everybody's getting hungry. We need to send them out into the villages. They need to go out in the villages so they can buy something to eat. We can reconvene later. We can do all of that. And, and he says to them, what? You give them something to eat. Now, I would have said send them out into the villages. That's, that's my way of thinking. I'm like, it makes sense to me. Send them out. Let them buy something. And they, Jesus says, no, 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 no. You go out and you, you, you provide for them. And they're like, oh, we can't do that. That's impossible. We don't have, that's a year's worth of wages right there. There's not possible. And you know what? They're right. It, it's not possible. It's an impossibility in their own power. But pause just for a second. Think about what have they just been doing? What have they just returned from? A mission where they were sent out by God as Jesus to be representatives of Jesus under the authority of Jesus. And what have they been doing? They've been teaching. They've been casting out demons. They've been healing people. Do you think any of them were doing any of that prior to coming to Jesus or following Jesus? <laughs> no. Peter didn't have that ability. He was, just a, he was a fisherman in a boat. <laughs> He has none of that, that ability. But now he's saying, go and you feed them. And they're like, we can't do that. It's not possible. And Jesus is like, I know it's not possible in your own power. 
but you need to feed them. You need to feed them. Jesus knows they can't do it, but what does he want? He wants them to trust and obey. He wants them to, to listen to the shepherd and to follow the guidance of the shepherd. And the same is true with each and every one of us. So Jesus is like, okay, you're, you're, you don't have this figured out. So, okay, how many loaves do you got? Go, go, go see. Go figure out what you got. And what do they come back with? How many loaves, church? Five, five loaves. And then how many fish? Okay, you got, that's not much. That's not even going to feed like four people <laughs> at that point. That, that, that's going to go through really, really fast. Because we're talking now, what, how many people? 5,000 men. Not talking even about women and children in that number. You're talking about thousands and thousands and thousands of people to be fed here. So, so picture this. Jesus begins to have them all sit down in groups. And you got what? Green grass that's all before them. And he says, okay, gather them in groups and sit them down in fifties and by hundreds. And so they begin to sit them down in the grass in the fifties by hundreds all over this green field right before the feet of Jesus. And what was the, the, the traditional type of clothing that they would have worn? Kind of robes and different things. And what color would those have been? Kind of a light brown or a white, right? And now you're looking out and you're picturing the scene from Jesus' perspective. It's a picture of sheep before the shepherd in the pasture, in the green. And what does Jesus do there? He raises up the bread and he blesses it. And then he begins to break the, the loaves and he gives it to the disciples. And he tells the disciples, okay, you're going to set this before the people. I, I'm going to do the work, but you're, you're going to do this through me. You're going to do this. And, and then he does the same with the fish. And check verse 42. Look in your Bibles at verse 42. And they all ate. All of them. Thousands upon thousands of people, they all ate. And that's not it. They were also what? Satisfied. They were satisfied. And there were leftovers. Precisely how many leftovers? Twelve baskets of leftovers. You think that's a coincidence? How many disciples are there? Twelve. He's like, okay, boys, here's some for the road. All right? I'm, I'm letting you know I've got this. I've I'm, I'm got you covered. I am in control here. I am satisfying. And that's the emphasis here. The emphasis is they are being satisfied. They are satisfied. As God provided manna in the wilderness, so Jesus is providing food here in this desolate place. And it satisfies it satisfies. Jesus satisfies. There's nothing in this world that is going to satisfy us. Jesus is the only one who can satisfy. Jesus is the Lord who is my shepherd in Psalm 23. He is the rejoicing shepherd of Luke 14, verses 5 and 6, who, who goes after the one lost sheep. He is the good shepherd of John 10, 11, who lays down his life for his sheep. He is the chief shepherd of 1 Peter 5, 4 who honors his servants. He is the great shepherd of Hebrews 13, 20. And he is the, the shepherd lamb of Revelation 7, 17 who guides his sheep to springs of living water. Congregation today, are, are you drinking from the spring of living water? 
Are you finding your satisfaction in Christ or are you trying to find your satisfaction somewhere else? If you are trying to find that satisfaction somewhere else, I invite you today, come and to drink. Come and to eat. Come and to rest and be satisfied in Christ. He's our only hope of satisfaction. Number two, Jesus is the great I am. Now, immediately after feeding the, the 5,000, Jesus and his disciples, or he sends his disciples out. Uh, and he's saying, okay, I need you to, to go on to the other side. You're going to go on to Bethsaida. I'm going to send you on your way. I'm going to stick around, and I'm going to um, disperse the crowd, and then I am going to go and spend some time alone with the Father in prayer. And that's not our main point here, but I think there's something to that. Even Jesus needs to take time aside and to make sure he's spending intentional time with his Father in prayer. So do we. We need physical rest and we need spiritual rest. We need to make sure that we are resting in Christ. Now somewhere during the, the fourth watch, this would be around 3 a.m. to 6 a.m. So in my book, there's not much resting getting done between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. If, if that's the time they're awake. But they're, they're up and they're, and they're rolling forward. And Jesus sees the disciples and they're out struggling on the water. They're fighting against this mighty wind, the storm that is raging. So, so what does He do? He, he comes to them. He goes out to them walking on the sea. He's not sitting there laughing at them being like, hey, look at those guys out there struggling on the water. He's not doing that. He goes to them walking on the sea. And we're told he meant to pass by them. Now, that doesn't mean that he meant to secretly pass by so they would not see. If he did not want them to see him, he would have simply not let, him see, let them see him. But he wanted them to see him. He, he meant to pass by so that they would see him. Like the calming of the sea or the feeding of the 5,000 is an act of, of evidence to his deity, to his identity. He wants them to see him walking on water. He wants them to see his glory right there in front of them. What this is doing is it's actually echoing the events of Exodus 33 where Moses asked God to see, to see God's glory. He's like, God, I want to see your glory. And God's like, you can't handle my glory. You can't handle, you'll die if you see my glory. But here's what I'm going to do for you, Moses. I'm going to hide you in the cleft of the rock and I'm going to put my hand over you. I'm going to hide you in there. When I'm going to pass by, I'm going to, I'm going to say my name. This is Yahweh. This is the Lord. I'm going to pass by you. All you're going to see is my backside. Because it's all you can handle. Anything else and you're going to be dead. So he hides him in the cleft and he passes by. And even with that momentary vision, that momentary experience, what, how does Moses respond? He drops down and he worships. He worships. Now, here, Jesus is passing by the disciples. He's passing by them. He's walking on the water. He's revealing his identity. He's revealing his glory. But as Jesus passes by, how do the disciples respond? It's a ghost! <laughs> Which means I guess they believed in ghosts. Alright? They, they have trouble understanding Jesus, but now they're, they're affirming this to be a ghost and they cry out because they're terrified. They're afraid. They're in fear. It's the same way they responded when, when they, Jesus had calmed the storm. Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey Him? They're terrified. And how does Jesus respond to their fearful, fearful response? 
was a strong rebuke? No, not at all. That's not what we see from him. Immediately he spoke to them and said, take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. Again, he's pointing us back to the Old Testament. He's pointing us back to Moses. In particular, in Exodus, in Exodus 3, 14, when Moses asked the Lord, what shall I tell the Israelites who's sending me? This is the time of the burning bush. And he's about to send them to, to bring them out of captivity. And he's like, well, who should I tell them is sending me? He said, I am who I am. You tell the people. You tell the people, I am has sent me to you. So with the disciples responding here in fear, immediately Jesus responds with what? Take heart. It is I. Take heart. It is I am. And what's he do? And he gets in the boat. He gets in the boat with them. And if that doesn't encourage your hearts this morning, if that doesn't comfort you, your weary souls, I don't know what will. I have no idea what will. The great I am got in the boat with these dumb, foolish sheep and he says, take heart. Don't be afraid. I'm with you. It means that God is not distant or disconnected. The great I am knows our fears. And he says, take heart. I'm right here with you in the midst of the storm. And maybe you need to hear those words today. He's right there with you in the midst of the storm. But how do the disciples respond? Thank you! Right? No, they're, they're astounded. They're, astounded. they're amazed. But their amazement is like Herod. They're perplexed. Why? For they do not understand about the loaves. And maybe there's some of you here today that's the same way. Like, I can't believe that. That's just ludicrous. I mean, what, what, what about feeding the father? It's just make-believe. How am I going to wrap my scientific mind around that? If they don't understand about the loaves. And that's where some of us are tempted to say, you fools! What do you mean you don't understand about the loaves? It's like right there. He's just fed from five loaves of, fish, five loaves of bread, two fish, and he's just fed like nearly 20,000 people. And what do you mean you don't understand? It's plain and simple. But before we start condemning and criticizing, we can't forget why they respond that way. Why people we all know and love respond this way, even today. Because their hearts are hardened. Their hearts are hardened to the gospel. That's why Pharaoh doesn't let the Egyptians go. That's why the crowds don't understand. And because their hearts are hardened, they don't understand. It's not for a lack of trying. They just can't understand. They marvel at the works of Jesus. They call Him a good person to think about the miracles. Those are great, but they don't understand. Neither the feeding of the 5,000 nor the walking on the water opens their hearts to the true identity of Jesus. And while it's very easy for us to pick on the disciples here, Real easy to say, they're so foolish. You know what this should be doing for all of us? 
You know what it's done for me? Exactly. <laughs> I don't know whose kid that was, but that was perfect. <laughs> and you know what that even does for me? The same thing as what this does for me. It encourages my heart. It encourages. It's so easy to pick. Why don't they get it? But we should find encouragement because we're the same way. How often are we like, God, I know you can. I, I, I know that you've done blank, but my situation is different. <laughs> I know you can do the impossible, but this is beyond impossible, God. I, I, don't, I don't... You ever felt that way? I know I have. <laughs> but in doing so, we fail to realize nothing is impossible with God. It's kind of one of those things that we toss out there. But really think about that for a moment. Nothing is impossible with God. But notice even further, in their foolishness, God does not give them a rebuke. Their, their shepherd does not rebuke them. Why? Because he knows they still have much to learn and to experience. Yes, their faith or their lack thereof looks foolish. But the same can be said of each and every one of us. How often do we look foolish in our faith? We just look foolish. But he doesn't give up on him, does he? He doesn't give up on them and, and praise God, he didn't give up on us and our ignorance and our hard-heartedness either. He came looking for us as the lost sheep. And he loved us enough to lay down his life for us. Our good shepherd, the great I am, God in the boat, and he says, take heart, it is I, don't be afraid. And he calms the waves. Church, don't forget who's in the boat. Number three, Jesus is the one who makes all things new. So when the disciples have finally made it to the other side, they don't end up in Bethsaida, they end up in Gennesaret. <laughs> oh, good ways of blown off course by the wind. And when they got out of the boat, the people immediately recognized Jesus. Again, no rest for the weary. And he began bringing the sick people, they began bringing the sick people to him wherever he went. Meaning at minimum, they have faith that Jesus can heal them. That's why they're bringing all the people before him. And wherever Jesus went, whether it was in a village, a city, or the countryside, he continued to heal. Wherever he went, he continued to heal. As we're told, as many as touched his garments were made well. And our immediate response, our immediate action or thoughts can go right back to the woman that we looked at a few weeks ago. The woman who just said, if I can just get to Jesus and touch his garment, I'm going to be made well. That, that story was emphasizing her faith. But that's not the focus here. The, the faith of these people is not the focus. The, the, the focus here is Jesus. Wherever this all-satisfying shepherd goes, whether it's in the country, whether it's in the fields, whether it's in the city, whether it's in the towns, wherever this all-satisfying shepherd goes, 
He cares for, He protects, and He heals His sheep. He looks out upon a fallen creation and He has compassion. He looks out upon a room like this with compassion. And what we actually have here is a foreshadowing of a day when Jesus will bring a permanent peace and a permanent healing to this broken world. It's a flash forward, a foreshadowing of Revelation 21 when He promises He will make all things new. But church, until that day comes, until that day comes, remember, Jesus knows you better than you know yourself. And He loves you more than you love yourself. He is more compassionate than you can ever hope and more powerful than we could ever imagine. He knows every need that we have perfectly. He knows our needs better than we know our needs. And that's why He sent His Son. That's why Jesus, the bread of life, allowed His body to be broken to satisfy our hungry souls. He walked the stormy waters that led Him to the cross so that He might rescue us from the waves of judgment that we deserve. And through His redemptive, compassionate touch, He heals us from our sinful disease. The great I am gets in the boat. He says, take heart. Don't be afraid. You're orphans no more. You're now sons and daughters of the king. Come and eat. Come and drink. Come find your satisfaction in Christ. Do you know this, Jesus? If not, come to Him today. The all-satisfying shepherd, the great I Am, the one who is going to make all things new, the Jesus that we see from cover to cover, from Genesis to Revelation, and all throughout the, the Gospel of Mark. He is Jesus the Christ the Son of the Most High God. Lord, we we come today confessing You. As a church, as believers, as our only hope for salvation. Lord, we we understand and we see that You are a miracle-working God. And we see that You are a comforting shepherd. And Lord, I know that as a a pastor of a congregation, I will never be a perfect under-shepherd of Christ. (laughs) Even with my best of intentions, I will often fail. We as a congregation with our best of intentions will, will fall woefully short. But Lord, we thank You that You never do. So Lord, today I pray that you will comfort and encourage weary souls. Help us to to persevere the trials of our day by finding our rest in Christ. And Lord, what we need need to slow down and take a time of real rest, vacation, physical rest, Lord, 
Let us be open and honest and, and to do it. Lord, guard the marriages in this room. Strengthen families around the gospel. Lord, may we not let Satan have even a foothold. Lord, as we, as we go from here today, help us just to be reminded of the truths that we've heard and to continue to come to the feet of you, our all-satisfying shepherd. In Jesus' name, amen. Will you stand together and let's, let's worship through song and responding to God's word.